Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Jens Nelson. I am Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss, investigate, explore theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Well, today is weird for a number of reasons. Um, We started this new thing at work where I get done at 3 o'clock on Fridays. Um, So here we are, 3 p.m. on a Friday. That fact is weird. Fact number two that's weird is that you and I are recording on a Friday. Our listeners may or may not have picked up that normally we record on Sundays. Um, But the even stranger thing yet is that we're going to be recording two episodes today. We haven't done that in a long time. So it just feels like this feels like you said this before we started recording, but this feels like good old classic doxology podcast. We'd record on any random day that we were available try to get as many episodes uploaded, or I should say recorded, so that we had a backlog. Um, And just like, we haven't done that in so long. It's been so like regimented and structured because of work and school and life and stuff. So it's kind of nice. It feels feels weird, but like in a good way. Um, But that's neither here nor there. That has nothing to do with the topic of conversation today. Uh, Today, like, much like last week, it's, I kind of like that we've been doing this where like, The episode that we do spawns an episode that comes out the following week. Uh, Last week, we talked about the Shroud of Turin, um, which many believe to be, you know, a a relic that we can tie directly to Christ as his burial burial cloth. Um, And so, you know, last week we were like, hey, we should just like have a conversation on relics in general. What are they? Um, Should we care? Um, Are they genuine? Like that sort of thing. Um... So without any further ado, man, what are your thoughts on relics? Hit us with the knowledge. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. I sort of, this this final, this past spring semester was my last semester in seminary, and I took a class where we read through all of Augustine's City of God, and in the last book of the City of God, um, there's, a, there's an extended section that is... Um, it's not about relics in the sense of where he's like, here, here are my thoughts on relics, but he's talking about relics. He's talking about miracles that he has witnessed or um, has been reported to him in, in his area that m- many of these miracles are, are in that, that he's recounting are tied to um, the relics of martyrs, um, especially St. Stephen and, and shrines and things like that. And so... Um, I've been thinking about relics a little bit for the last few months because of that. Um, and, you know, coming off a conversation about what could be one of the greatest relics in existence, if, depending on your perspective, um, I was excited to dive a little bit more into talking about, uh, the na- like you said, the nature of relics, just sort of what, you know, what we as Christians should or shouldn't think about them. Um, all of which might be strange, depending on the kind of, if, if you're a Christian, depending on the kind of Christian you are, because obviously you and I are both from Protestant backgrounds. We're from a generally speaking Protestant culture, cult, you know, in a, in a cultural sense. The, the cultural Christianity that, that is most, you know, impactful on the culture of the, the USA is, comes from Protest, Protestantism and various Protestantisms. Um, but if you're not a Protestant, um, so, in other words, the vast majority of Christians around the world and throughout history, um, 
Relics are, especially you know, at least, especially after a certain point in history, relics are a, um, it, it maybe not maybe not like ever present, but they're a common feature of, um, worship or or at least at least um, devotion, piety, church architecture, that kind of thing. Um, so if you're if if you are a Protestant, you might be thinking like, "Ooh, relics! That sounds kind of weird." If you're not a Protestant, you might be thinking, "Oh, well, what's the point of even talking about these things, right?" Um, but if you're a Protestant like me, you you find yourself in situations where you start thinking about things that don't necessarily fit with with certain paradigms or certain ways of thinking about Christian piety, Christian devotion, thinking about the way the world works, thinking about the way that God works in the world, right? Um, that don't necessarily fit with with the the scripts that you are used to. Doesn't mean they're right or wrong, but they're different. Um, and that makes them worth exploring. Uh, like I said, they could turn out to be, maybe, maybe they don't fit because the script you were given is deficient, or maybe they don't fit the script because they shouldn't, right? Like we can think of, an infinite number of examples of things that that the older you get, the more experience you get, the more time you spend you spend studying, the more the, the more you get to know Christ, the more you're transformed and deified, the more you are transformed by the Holy Spirit. You're going to you're going to change things. Your your mind is going to expand, your spirit is going to expand. And when that happens, that's that's not necessarily a good thing and it's not necessarily a bad thing. What happens is when you when, when you're faced with something new that you didn't know before because you're just one person, you explore and you think about it. And sometimes that shifts things in a pretty significant way. And other times you're like, yeah, this is, I have a better understanding of this, but that doesn't fit in my piety, my worship, my theology for X, Y, or Z reasons. And that's something similar that happened to me with relics specifically through um, or, or, or sort of the catalyst, the main thing that I think about is is reading Augustine City of God from start to finish, getting to the end of this massive work, tracking what he's doing, and and then seeing the way that um, he challenges, you know, being a fifth century um, North African bishop dealing with, um, uh, you know, he's not really dealing with Pelagius by the time, you know, by the time of City of God yet, but, you know, Donatism and, and these other heresies, like, he really challenges my what I can see because he's showing so many other things. So that's a little more meta than I meant to get. But um, for for our our beloved Protestant friends and brothers and sisters, um, what I mean and and what and what I you know what you mean when we're talking today, when we're talking about relics, we're talking about something like the Shroud of Turin. So an artifact that could be like a piece of clothing. Um, it could be uh, like a you know. I mean, it could be it could be a whole any any kind of object, or like literally like a body part, like like a bone fragment or a piece of hair or that kind of thing, um, closely associated with a particular saint. So, like with the Shroud of Turin, it is a piece of cloth um, that like like a physical object artifact that is assuming you believe it, you know that is a, by virtue of being. Jesus's burial cloth. It is an, a physical object that is closely associated with, um, like physically associated um, with Christ, and therefore endued with certain um, spiritual significance, certain 
devotional significance, etc. So, so we can think of all kinds of examples. Um, another easy way to get the example, I went to visit the campus of Notre Dame or at the beginning of this year, and we went into the, um, the church there, the basilica, and they have a whole uh, reliquary chapel where they have um, what I read in the brochure is, is apparently in that chapel, which is just this little tiny room, um, and there's this big display case, and there are relics for almost, I believe what it said is almost every saint on the Roman Catholic calendar the Roman Catholic liturgical calendar um, has a relic represented there. And the vast majority of these are these little tiny specks of, of bone because that's, you know, obviously people who lived hundreds or thousands of years ago. Typically speaking, you know, I know, I know there are, you know, we could talk about like incorrupt saints and things like that. But generally speaking, human bodies decay and bones are, are you know, longer lasting than things like flesh or, or anything like that. Um, and, and, you know, more than clothes as well. So when we're talking about relics, that's what we have in mind. And so so with that kind of idea, I think before we go any further, it's, it's worth pointing out that for people like you and me, for the vast, not all, of course, there's always exceptions, but for the vast majority worldwide of Protestant Christians, I think it's safe to say at least, and certainly in my experience, and I'd be curious if you have some kind of other perspective or if you think I'm generally right, um, relics are kind of odd. They're, they're, they live somewhere between the weird, bizarre, freaky, and quote-unquote idolatrous categories. I would imagine a lot of Protestants, that would be their, their gut reaction. Um, I don't think there are very many people who would, you know, consider themselves Protestants by conviction or by background, who are used to having, you know, a room in their church where there's a bunch of relics. Where that might be, you know, depending on the size of the church, that might be more uh, expected or at least more, you know, not seem out of place in a Roman Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox church or something like that, compared to, like, your local Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian <laughs> churches. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't know, like, like, before we, before we go on, thinking about relics in terms of, you know, some kind of physical artifact that's connected to a saint who has lived before, or in, in rare cases, you know, Christ himself, right? Like we've talked about last week. Like, but obviously because there's only one, you know, body of Christ, I know that has many meanings <laughs> there, but like, because Jesus had one physical body in a, in a particular place in time, but there's been 2,000 years of, of saints following him since, and also, you know... Old Testament saints before, like there's a lot more relics that aren't directly related to Jesus Christ, just because there's been a lot more people all around the world who have lived holy lives that have left behind bone fragments or tools or, or yeah. clothing, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of the time they're connected with saints. Like generally speaking, if you see a relic, it's going to be, you know, a relic of St. Thomas Aquinas or a relic of, you know, St. Uh, Nicholas or, or fill in the blank, right? So all that to say, or St. Stephen, as, as Augustine talks about a lot mm. in that City of God section. So, I don't know, like, before we get into more, just, just thinking, like, like I assume your experience is the same as mine. And I'm curious if you have any more thoughts on that in yeah. terms of just, like, the oddity, like, like the oddity or, like, 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 the judgment that relics are odd and or 
something bad, right? I'm sure. curious if you have more thoughts on that and if, if I'm way off base or if that's, like, spot on. Yeah. Those are the no, only two options. No. <laughs> well, it's funny. You – I in, in some respect, I think you are spot on. Like, I agree that, I, that like, for most Protestants, relics are somewhat strange. But what, what I find hilarious and funny and whatever any other synonym for that is, like, Protestant denominations still revere – people and items and things um we might not call them relics they might not be when we say relic like this particular type of thing where we have a object or article of religious significance from the past but even that like so that that well so this is just a straight up definition it says in religion a relic is an object or article of religious significance from the past usually consists of the physical remains or personal effects of a saint or other person um, preserved for the purposes of veneration as a tangible memorial. And it's like, the church I worked at had a garden. The garden was a memorial garden, like, of a person who had passed away in the congregation. So it's like, in some sense, is that a relic? This is a Baptist church in the middle of Illinois, right? Um, I can think of other churches where, I mean, just look at the, uh, you know, the stage, the platform, the pulpit, whatever you might want to say. Um, what, what, articles from the past are on display if any i mean maybe there aren't any i know like a lot of a lot of modern stages are more sparse um but i can think of you know plaques that commemorate something or um you know this pastor's bible from the 1940s who was the first pastor of the church so it's it's interesting because like we again we might not call them relics we might not think about them in the same way that perhaps our our catholic brothers and sisters might think of relics but in some way, like, Protestants keep things, articles, gardens, things to commemorate people and objects and time and space that are important to them. It's no different. We, we, we might think about them differently. Yeah. You know what I mean? Can you think of that's examples a, that's like a, that? Yeah, that's a really interesting connection. Um, and I think, like, like, a little bit of devil's advocate is, like, well, that is different because the memorial garden or the Bible or the, you know, shirt or, or in a non-religious uh, context, like, people might have, like, autographs that they got on, sure. you know, uh, a football jersey or a baseball card or um, a, you know, a record or something from, you know, for a long time I had... Uh, I uh, I went to a concert in high school and I didn't have anything with me to get autographed, but I was wearing I was wearing classic um, con Converse high tops, mm. and you know how they have like like the the toe, oh, the toe is, is like, like white, the, yeah, it's like the white rubber. So I got both of those white rubber pieces on the toes of my Converses signed by by two different bands and i thought Relic. that was the coolest i'd Save it. never heard of that and and i went home i was like very careful to because i was like I, the other thing is i was on a trip right uh, so i was like very careful with these shoes i didn't wear them the rest of the time i went home and i hung them on the wall i don't think i have them anymore which is a shame just because it's like i don't know I, i've never seen anyone get their sh i'm sure lots of people do but i didn't know anyone who had their shoes yeah. signed so i thought that was cool but like you know the and we can think of like non-religious um uh, context for it but I think like the devil's advocate that I was getting at is like the idea where well that's a like you use the word with the garden like that's that's a memorial it's a memento I it's a it's a it's it's sentimentally significant because I remember 
that time I met one of my favorite bands, or I remember that time I met Michael Jordan, or that I remember this person who was really significant in my life or my community because there's a plaque commemorating them in the entryway to the school or the church or whatever, um, versus like the relic of a saint where I pray you know, like an icon where it's a more sacramental kind of thing where I, I associate it with not just significance, like spiritual significance in the sense that this pastor or this member of the church was a significant person in the spiritual life of the community, but even like quote unquote, a step further where it's like this bone fragment, you know, get connects me in some way with this saint or, um, you know, that kind of thing. And, and ergo my, you know, I, I am, because of this connection with this saint, I am brought into, you know, closer devotion to Christ. I am, um, you know, more connected with this particular saint and sure. my intercessions to them, you know, whatever it might be. And in that sense, I do, I, I do think there's a difference and, and I could see them being in completely different categories even. Yeah, but to a degree. I think yeah. what you bringing it up is is really helpful because it is an interesting connection. This impulse to save things associated with people, or to mark the the impact or the work of of certain people. Well, so is, to even... is I think an interesting connection as a broader human impulse, um, and also a broader Christian impulse. You know, like you said. Um, yeah. In a in a in a church setting or a Christian setting, but not necessarily in the same way, there is an interesting connection there. Where even the the Christians who have gotten rid of that practice of you know maintaining reliquaries and 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 preserving you know relics of specific saints for the purpose of devotion or prayer, even the Christians who generally speaking would not do that and and have not preserved that practice have a similar impulse or or, or can. You know, yeah. of course, there's always exceptions, whatever. I'm sure there's someone who's very consistent. No, <laughs> somewhere. We will not put up, you know, there will be, there will be no memorial plaques anywhere in this bit. Like, but generally, I don't think most people yeah. would take that hard line of a stance. So I see what you're saying. I think that's really interesting and helpful to think through just like those impulses and how they do or don't connect to these other practices that Christians have been doing for a long time, sure. whether we say they're right or wrong. Right. And I think I I also wonder, like, the distance of time. Like, one of the things that I was interested, like, in reading about is, like, if relics have, like, from day one always been, like, seen in that light. I mean, like, so, like, I'm trying to think. The the, the thing about relics is that they're often tied to, like, large names. You know, the the fathers, the saints, the, the, like, the very important people in the faith. Right. And, and, and that is what makes a relic in this sense unique. Right. Something that you can tie to St. Paul, something that you can tie to St. Augustine, something that you can tie to Mary. Like, that's insane. People that lived 2000 years ago, you know, 1500 years ago, whatever, even something from Martin Luther, for that matter. I mean, 500 years ago. Um, like, that's a that's a, a sure a very interesting, important, unique thing. Um, but like, was that object immediately venerated or did it take time as we distanced our like what i'm trying to get to is like you know and this is a terrible example i'm probably going to get raked over the coals but i'm trying to think of like modern day theological giants so like rc sprawl or something like in 200 300 400 years if you have something that ties yourself to rc sprawl 
are there going to be people that like treat that as a relic is, is kind of what I'm getting at. Like, whereas today we're not, they're not, it's not relic status, but does it take time to get there? That's what I'm not entirely sure on. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is like Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, shamanism, um, many other religions have relics. I mean, like relics are not unique to Christianity. They're not even, I mean, as we've already seen, I think is like quote unquote relics in the most loosely defined term, because I think that word has become a little bit loosey goosey in, um, in, in modern vernacular, like relic is not exactly what we're saying today. A relic could simply just be an item from the past. Like I'm thinking of a, a Paul McCartney song where he talks about this, this relic from a distant age. He's just talking about like some old thing, right? Um, or like you might go out into an antique store and be like, oh, this is a relic. Like you might hear someone say something like that in the, the antique store. That's not to say it's like some artifact tied to St. Augustine. And so like it, uh, like words matter, usage matters, what we mean. I mean, that's what we're trying to communicate here. And if you do find something tied to St. Augustine in an antique store, you should buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless like, of your conclusion on relics, that's probably a good find. Yeah, I'm, I'm like picturing the antique store in Rolla, Missouri, where my in-laws' grandparents live, and just trying to picture like rummaging through this place and finding a relic to the, you know, a, a long-gone saint. How did this wind up in this place? Um, but yeah, like that. those are some of my like my thoughts is like, sure, Protestants like are distant they're distanced from like relics in the strictest sense of what we're trying to communicate here of like the historic relics of the Christian faith. Um, but I do think in some way Protestants keep relics, even if they wouldn't say that and we mean something different. Um, I was curious, like, does the Bible speak to relics at all? And in a way it kind of does. So if you're cool, I'm going to cover some of these. Second Kings 13, 20 through 21 It says, now Moabite raiders used to come into the land in the spring of the year. First of all, Moabite raiders, that sounds like, this sounds like an Indiana Jones movie. Um, Coming into into the holy land in the spring, verse 21, once as the Israelites were burying a man, so somebody who's presumably very dead, if they're burying him, suddenly saw a raiding party... So they threw the man. I just, I'm just picturing them like, oh shoot, raiders! And they just like yeet this guy into Elisha's tomb. When he touched Elisha's bones, the man revived and stood up. Like, what a crazy story! These raiders are coming, coming over the hill. You're you're burying your buddy who's you know maybe fallen in battle or just you know whatever. It doesn't really matter how how the person passed away in this case, but they are obviously dead if they're burying him. They just throw him into the tomb. He touches Elisha's bones. Again, Lucas earlier mentioned bones, bone fragments as being relics. And this man was revived and stood up. So, I mean, I have lots of questions. One, why are they burying this guy that's unnamed in Elisha's tomb? Are they near Elisha's tomb? Was this like standard practice? Was he a prominent person and they're just choosing not to name him? Maybe we'll have an episode on 2 Kings 13. Fact of the matter is, this dude was revived when he touched the bones. Um, Acts 19. Uh, This is verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. That's very interesting phrasing. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. Verse 12. We'll actually get back to that later with respect to um, Augustine, who I think is really helpful, but... Cool, yeah. yeah. No, foreshadow. Um, yeah, uh, verse 12 says, So that even face cloths and aprons 
that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So P- Paul Paul's going around doing these crazy things. Well, it's God through God doing it through Paul. But even aprons, face claws, you know, just f- pieces of fabric that Paul touched are being taken to the sick and the demon possessed, and they're being healed. That's insane. Um, the third for third and final one I found Mark six verse fifty six. Um, wherever he went, I think this is Jesus, wherever he went into villages, towns, and the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe and everyone who touched it was healed. So yeah, touching Jesus's garment, it wasn't even like Jesus didn't have to like intentionally lay hands or spit in the mud and make a little mixture. All they had to do was brush up against his robe and they would be healed. Um, So in some sense, I mean, these seem like extraordinary relics, not not just something that is venerated, not just something that is, you know, perhaps prayed to or seen in a particular light. Um, these were things, objects, materials, uh, quite literally bones, that had some sort of super, super or supernatural element to them, at least at that moment. Do they still? If I went to Elisha's tomb today and I threw my dead friend on him, would he be revived? Probably not. Um, so that's probably an example of where this is descriptive and not prescriptive. Please don't throw bodies on the tomb of other people and expect to have them revived. That's probably not going to happen. Um, but the point is, is like, what what do we do with this? Was it a, a thing that was in a time and a place that served a purpose that is no longer true? Is that true of these relics? Like, were some of these relics that are tied? I mean, obviously, the first one was Elisha, a mere man. Um, the second one was Paul, another mere man. The other one was Jesus. The Jesus one, I get a little bit more like touching his robe. Um, but like, so for, if, if you have something that is tied to St. Peter, um, something that's tied, uh, to Augustine or who, like who, all these saints of the past that we have relics of, was there a time and place where those had these sort of qualities where you could be healed, where you could be, uh, freed from your demon, uh, spirit or whatever. So um, the last thing that I was going to say before, before we move on is simply sort of like discussing the, um, the quote unquote classes of relics so that we understand what we mean when we talk about relics as if they're ranked. Um, so I had read that first class relics are items directly associated with the events of Christ's life. So think manger, cross, crown of thorns, or the physical remains of a saint. So bone, hair, skull, limb. Um, second class relics are items that the saint owned or frequently used. So crucifix, rosary, book, cloth. Um, and then third class relics are any object that has been in contact with a first or second class relic. Um, so that's helpful to note too, is like we're in some sense, relics can be tiered. They're not all on the same playing field. Um, so does any, any of that like jostle your your thinking are you surprised questioning uh what else do you have to say here where i'd like to go is to talk a little bit about what augustine says in the city of god because i think it ties together for people who aren't used to relics and aren't used to thinking about relics in a you know contemporary post-reformation roman catholic context um it gets at, he gets, Augustine, I mean, gets at some of the struggles, I think, that Protestants may or may not have with relics. And 
well, I guess I guess before we do that, on the biblical examples, I think that what's so interesting is is not that you know carefully reading the scriptures or paying attention to what happens means you're going to read these stories and be like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, you know, whatever the Romans do, like the Roman Christians, I mean, Roman Catholics do about or do with relics or say about relics, that that's, that's good because relics are in the Bible. What it, I mean, it, it's incontrovertible that relics associated with holy people, meaning people's whose people whose lives have been transformed and characterized by the work of the Spirit, Elisha, Paul, etc. Peter's shadow, not even, that's not even an object, um, also an acts. Uh, but like people's who people whose lives have been transformed. As a result of that, physical objects, whether that's remains like Elisha's bones or handkerchiefs or whatever or robes ends of robes um have real like concrete specific you know recorded um historical examples of actual effects right like not just significance that that people place on them where these are the bones of saint so-and-so who we keep here and we know that they're his bones and that's very significant you know because he was a significant person like that's that that's a certain kind of significance but then somebody goes to those bones prays to god for healing and is healed that's that's a different kind of significant like and that second kind of like actual you know e- like an effect that it has like we see that in second kings we see that in the book of acts so that's at least something that God has done and therefore, you know, could do. It's not something that contradicts his character because he did it <laughs> in the Old and New Testament. Um, and so the question of whether or not he does it, like that's a different question. And also the question, like, questions like things that the Reformers are really concerned about. Um, last week we talked about, or, or not talked really about, but quoted from an entire book that Calvin wrote against relics. Um, And this is something that you find in Lutheran, Reformed, all Protestant confessions. You find things against relics, and and that has to do with practices that arose and and, and continue uh, in certain Christian groups that the Reformers saw as as problematic. Um, And so... This isn't sort of a like a binary thing in the sense of, you know, the Bible says relics are good and therefore, you know, anything that any Christian does or surrounding a relic is a good thing or the Bible says relics are bad and therefore we can have none. But but in reality there's something a little bit more complicated going on in the sense that relics clearly have some significance at times. They have, right? And we don't have to get into, you know, we we could if we had taken the time, we could find any number of first-hand accounts and second-hand accounts of people who have experienced miracles connected with relics uh, in recent times and in the 2,000 years between, you know, the the New Testament and us today. And that wouldn't, you know, we don't have to get into it. It wouldn't prove anything. Um, it's sort of like we've talked about with things like UFOs and, and you know, things that are a little bit out there, um, 
like parent things that would be considered paranormal or whatever. It's like, well, enough people are saying the same thing. So there's something going on. Does that mean it's aliens from another planet coming to, you know, scope us out and see what we're, you know, I don't know, probably not. Who knows? But but something's happening that a bunch of people are calling, you know, UFOs or UAPs or whatever. And so there's, there's a similar thing I would take where it's like, well, Christians for centuries have been saying, you know, these relics here have, have you know, God has used them to heal them or whatever. Like, okay, something's going on. Maybe we should investigate that further. But that's that's sort of a side note. What, what I'm really interested in is like, so if we look at the way Augustine talks about relics, um, he's talking a, a lot of what he's talking about. This is in, um, if you want to go find it online, City of God, book 22, section 8 especially, and then also sections 9 and 10 have have sort of more more on it. But 8, section 8, is this big long list of miracles um, it's literally just a list of miracles. He's like, oh, well, there was a guy here and this happened. And oh, I saw this over there. And this guy told me this. And so a lot of those um, a lot of those miracles that he's talking about are connected with, they, they just so happen to be connected with relics uh, of St. Stephen, the, the first martyr, martyred in, in the book of Acts. Um and there are some interesting quotes I just want to read that Augustine says. This is I'm just going to be picking things out of context. Like I, I've given you the general context, but he says he says a couple of things that I think are really significant. So first, talking about Saint Stephen, Augustine says, "Quote the martyr himself, by whose intercessions she was healed." Talking about a, a woman who experienced healing connected with Saint Stephen's relics. Um, the martyr himself most certainly believed in the one who entered through closed doors to be with his disciples and most certainly believed above all. And this is the point of everything else I have said in the one who ascended into heaven with the flesh in which he had risen again. So he's talking about St. Stephen, this martyr whose relics are venerated, St. Stephen and, and associated with miracles believed in Christ, right? Believed in Jesus and had his faith was in Christ's. And, and so Augustine is saying, the reason why such marvels take place through him is precisely that he laid down his life for this faith. And that's really significant because we can kind of see this, this there's sort of this, this like directionality where it's not that Stephen was a special guy. And it's not even that Stephen was made a special guy by the work of the Holy Spirit. Stephen's life points to Christ. That's why he's a martyr. Martyr means witness, right? So, so there's that. And then he also says, Augustine, in a different context, the miracles we cite were worked by the martyrs, or rather by God, either with the cooperation or at the prayers of the martyrs, in order to promote the faith which we believe. So there's this A, like a very explicit uh, attention given to the fact that at the end of the day, this is the work of God, right? God raised that guy in 2 Kings from the dead. He did it when and because that guy touched the bones of Elisha, right? Um, God healed the, the people in Jerusalem. He, he did it in a variety of ways, when, but a couple examples, when... St. Peter's shadow touched them. St. Paul's napkin touched them. Whatever, right? So there's 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 that. But then there's also this idea of the cooperation or at the prayers of the martyrs. And there's like I, I like this ambiguity where you you don't we don't know and we can't prove it, but 
We do believe in the communion of saints. And that we do believe that the saints who have gone before us are alive. And so I, it's one of those things where it's, I, it seems perfectly reasonable to me to think, well, you know, like I, there's no reason to think that St. Stephen can't be, you know, praying to God for those believers who are still on earth. I'm not saying he is, but it, if he was, I mean, God answers prayer. Right, and it's not that his prayers are more valuable because he's better than us, but it's just that he is a saint who has gone before and is now, you know, departed and therefore, you know, with Christ, whatever that means, prior to the resurrection of the dead. But it's interesting. And then one last thing, he's talking about um, practices related to martyrs, not relics directly, but it's connected. Um, where Augustine talks about during the sacrifice, and so he's talking about uh, the celebration of the Eucharist. During the sacrifice, the martyrs are named in their own place and order as persons given to God who overcame the world by confessing him. So their their significance is that they're martyrs. Um, and the reason that is a significant thing is not because of what it says about them, but because they are people who have given themselves and confessed the faith in God, right? Um and he says, so they're, they're named as these people who have overcome the world by confessing God, but they are not invoked by the priest who offers the sacrifice. And this is more significant if we're talking about, you know, the way that relics, uh, the role that relics play and, and, and the communion of saints in general in like contemporary Roman Catholicism. Um, where, where you do invoke saints, it's a really interesting, and it's interesting in the Latin, it's... It's not just an English, like, that was not a translation done by a Protestant to try to, um, it's actually um, the, the words to name and to invoke, um, and that translation came from a Catholic translator. So, um, anyway, the point is, um, there's, there is significance in the lives of the saints, in the bodies of the saints. We see this in scripture, we see this very early on in the church in terms of Things like the cult of the dead, praying to saints, but also just the the continued, you know, post-New Testament, continued existence of relics. Um, because, you know, Augustine's writing in the early 400s, and this is a shrine that has been well-established in his diocese. So, you know, this has been going on for a long enough time that you have dedicated shrines to St. Stephen's relics. Um, and so, all of that brings together this, for me, this perspective on the not just existence of relics but like the efficacy of relics where i'm like well i don't i don't see you know reading something like augustine it's like well i don't think augustine's lying right um i also don't think he's an idiot uh so there's and, and i believe that god heals people through prayer and so it's like i put all those pieces together and i'm like well it seems like at least some of the time in Augustine's day, something was going on where people were experiencing physical healing through some connection to, you know, prayers to God connected with St. Stephen's relics, right? Um, it's like, okay, well, at the very least, I don't know what to do with that. Even if I don't want to make any conclusions off of that, you know, it's not necessarily conclusive evidence for this or that position. Um, but, but you take that, 
You look at what happens in Acts. You look at what happens in the Gospels with Christ's robe. You look at what happens in the Old Testament. Um, and there are just, you start seeing these things. Not, not any one of these things gives us a definitive answer, but they're sort of the accumulation of little pieces of evidence to me. And it seems to me that um, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, you know, my Protestantism is showing when I say, you know, we shouldn't be um, praying to saints and we shouldn't be expecting any kind of magic powers connected with relics. But it seems like my sort of takeaway from all this and this whole conversation is like, I'd like to see wherever it's appropriate and wherever it's, it's possible, I'd like to see, you know, when we're celebrating the Eucharist, intentionally naming martyrs or saints that are associated with our um, tradition or associated with the faith or, or whether we're following a calendar or associated with our geographical area. Um, and uh, the presence of relics, if, if they exist, such as, you know, bones or, or shreds of clothing or whatever, perhaps like following the example of the early church, building the church altars on top of relics of martyrs, if, if we have access to those and in our particular locality, which, which you know, in, in contemporary United States, we're probably not, you know, we're probably not suffering from an abundance of martyr relics uh, that are at least easily accessible to us that are relevant to our particular, you know, locale or whatever. But um, that's my takeaway is like, I don't want to, I, I don't think, you know, oh, the Catholics are just a bunch of crazies who are just praying to dead people and they should just get rid of those bones because that's, that's gross. You know, it doesn't seem to, that doesn't seem to fit with the story of Christianity over the last 2000 years, but going back much further than those 2000 years, the story that we see in scripture, when these things come up, it seems to me, I would go so far as to say like, what you can conclusively say is that God does work through relics. And you, and you notice these people aren't like, oh, I want to go worship Paul. And then they're healed when they touch his handkerchief. They're like, got like, you know, taking what the way Luke describes it in, in the narrative in Acts, like they're like, God is working through Paul. Paul is, a, is somebody who is, who, who is a minister of God to, to us, you know, to, to, to us here. Um, and, and their faith is, what you know? What Jesus says to the um, woman with the issue of blood who touches his robe without his knowledge, whatever that means, uh, he says, "Your faith has healed you." Well, if you read the story, she was healed because she touched his robe. That's true. Her faith healed her because she had faith that coming into contact with this man who is from God, the Messiah, would heal her. And so that's kind of where I land. Where I'm like, I'm not gonna be, you know rubbing the bones of St. Peter anytime soon, but I would love if there was a finger bone of St. Peter in my church. I think that would be only beneficial, <laughs> which is, you know, maybe a strong statement, but I kind of want to make a strong statement because yeah. I think it when you, when you put all these pieces together, that's kind of where I'm led. And I don't know if I'm just, you know, too happy to be a little bit quirky, a little bit different maybe, but I think I think it's pretty clear that this is something that, has been used by God, and I see no reason why it would no longer be able to be used sure. by God in some way 
edifying for the church for the church yeah. so that's kind of where i land yeah and i'm i'm kind of right there with you my my biggest thing is like avoiding the idolatry of a relic i think i think that's like that that fine line of like a a thing that can be celebrated a thing that can be commemorated a, a memorial a thing to be um you know seen as important and tied to people who are the you know the stalwarts of the faith and all that um, but where it where it turns into to, to worship or idolatry, I think that is where it sort of becomes problematic. Um, the very final comments I was going to make, I, I thought it was worth mentioning, like, specific relics that exist. Like, these are a list of claimed relics. I'm not going to read them all, but um, it's been claimed that the true cross of Christ, um, it's, it's claimed by many churches around the world. Um, the nails, sponges, lances, thorns, and other instruments of the Passion... Um, let's see, uh, a a robe of Jesus, uh, sandals, uh, there's something called the Marian shrine in, uh, the Aiken cathedral. They have four important relics. Uh, they say the nappy and loincloth of Jesus, a dress of Mary, the decapitation cloth of John the Baptist, um, and even the remains of Charlemagne, um, there are other shrines to um, uh, the remnants of the biblical magi. Like how? How did how did we trace that down? Um, we're talking Saint Peter, Saint Paul, Saint James, Saint Luke, Saint Mark, Saint Matthew, Saint Saint John, etc., etc., etc. All these people. There are are bones, bodies, fragments, things tied to all the major players. You know the uh, the uh, the various apostles and even people related to them. And here, here's my thing. This, this sort of goes down to my, my, my problem of idolatry. This is, this was what I came across in my reading. It says, as holy relics attracted pilgrims and these religious tourists needed to be housed, fed, and provided for, um, relics became a source of income, not only for the destination that held them, but for the abbeys, churches, and towns in route. Um, relics were prized. Um, they could be possessed, inventoried, bequeathed, stolen, counterfeited, smuggled. Um, speaking of raiders, uh, they could also add value to an established site, uh, confer significance on a new location. Um, offerings made at a site of pilgrimage were an important source of revenue for that community who received them on behalf of the saint. Um, going on, it says, to the community's fortunate enough to have uh, a saint's remains in its church, the benefits in terms of revenue and status were enormous, and competition to acquire relics and to promote the local saint's virtues over those of neighboring communities was keen. Local, local clergy promoted their own patron saints in an effort to secure their own market share. On occasion, guards even had to watch over mortally ill holy men and women to prevent unauthorized dismemberment of their corpses as soon as they died. Um, it's also suggested that the danger of someone murdering an aging holy man in order to acquire his relics was a legitimate concern. So, like, in the era where these things were, like, at least more common, and, I mean, think of Augustine's day. They were much closer to St. Paul, St. Peter, um, Polycarp, etc. Um, and so there was there was this, like... On the one hand, the the thing of money, like, hey, we have St. Paul's body, come see it. We have this cross of Christ, come see it. Um, and all the cascading problems that could come with that sort of thing, on top of, like, think of people like Augustine or 
um, blanking on anybody else, Aquinas or Charlemagne, I guess, for that example. Like, uh, th- apparently there was, like, a risk of being well-known, being respected as a holy person, and the, the, the real risk of, like, someone might murder you, or if they're not going to murder you, like, when it's a approaching the end of your life they might try to come in and take your bones so so that they can claim you as a relic for their you know whatever so it's like that that's like the other side there's obviously like the idolatry of like those who like truly love and adore and like revere the thing but then there's also the people who are out for like nefarious reasons they want to make money they want to have notoriety they want to have success or fame or whatever um and so like those are sort of my like my two warnings, I guess, in the in the realm of, of relics is idolatry. I guess both are technically idolatry, but there's, like, the idolatry of the thing itself, of the relic, and then there's the idolatry of what the relic will bring you. Money, fame, success, notoriety, etc. Um, so I think, I mean, with anything in life, I guess maybe that's what we can boil this down to, is, like, idolatry is a nefarious sin. Anything be- can become an idol. We can become idolatrous of anything. Um... So yeah, uh, if you have relics, if you're if you're somewhere in the world, I mean, man, can you imagine if someone's in the world at one of these basilicas or near one of these churches and has seen some of these relics and like you're hearing this and on the one hand, I'm very curious what your thoughts are um person out in time and space, but also just like the if these are in fact genuine, that's my other thing is like how many of these were counterfeited. Uh, but like if in fact these are genuine things that we can trace to the magi to Mary, to Paul. I mean, like that's just like in and of itself super cool that we have objects that have survived 2,000 years that like are tied to people of our faith, the very beginnings of it. I mean, we are, we talk about this all the time. We're standing on the shoulders of those people who have come before us and we owe a tremendous debt to those who who bore the name of Christ in the early church, who faced immense persecution, who did incredible things for the cause of the kingdom, not for their own notoriety, not for their own fame, but for the fame of Christ. And so it's like, yeah, like if we have something that's tied to one of them, that's awesome. Just like I have my autographed Randy Moss uh, rookie card, I, I hold that as something that's valuable and significant from when I met Randy Moss, but it's like, I don't worship it. I don't venerate it. I don't pray to it, but it's like a thing of significance that I find cool and important. I mean, humans have done this for years. They keep things that are important. So at the end of the day, those are my final thoughts. Do you have any final thoughts or are we good to, to, to pop out of here? Yeah, no, let's wrap it up. So, I mean, yeah, this is definitely a really interesting conversation that like anything, there's way more that could be said. So we'd love to hear thoughts from, from you guys listening, um, whether that's firsthand experience or just more thoughts on, on things that we've said, uh, are we missing something? Did we forget something? What's your favorite relic? Whatever it is, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate everybody who listens, um, whether it's just this episode or any other episode of the Doxology Podcast. Um, The best way to get in touch with us is by email, doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Like I said, anything that's on your mind, we'd love to hear from you. And until next time.